got a lot to say about the world I occupy every day. But when I say what's on my mind, I find I piss people off. You're listening to What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revelationary times. I'm Joy Damiani. And I'm Sarah Baranowskis. Our guest this week is the well-traveled, well-spoken, and unapologetically outspoken musician, Mark Rubin. If Mark Rubin, Jew of Oklahoma, is doing anything here, it's to provide aid and comfort to those who have this whole new world that they're waking up in, where we used to be a long time ago. We thought we we thought we put that stuff away. Look, I'm the guy who had the cross burned in his yard. You know what I mean? I thought that that was over. All that and a whole lot more from Mark in just a minute. But first, if you have been liking what you've been hearing on the podcast and you want to support us, you don't even need to pick up a wallet or an app or anything All you need to do is give us five stars on iTunes, leave us a nice little review, follow us on all of the apps where you might be listening because, you know, there's new ones all the dang time. Um, And, you know, share us with your friends and neighbors and coworkers, which is what I hear we're calling our pets and kids these days. And, uh, you know, just let us know that you love us through all the other ways that aren't money. Um, and then, you know, eventually we'll ask you for that. But until then, please enjoy what you're about to hear, starting with a song by our guest, Mark Rubin, called It's Burning. standing round it's burning said it's burning said it's burning listen up you hold dimples pick up a bucket you got the tools it's burning where they're going round and taking names putting every home to the flames it's burning was any doubt well there ain't no fireman to put it out it's It's burning 
in Everything is burning down But your arms are crossed and you're standing round It's burning And it's burning Said it's burning Listen up, you hog damn fools Pick up the buckets, you got the tools It's burning We're here with my old friend Mark Rubin here today. Oklahoma born, Texas reared, and now living in New Orleans. Multi instrumentalist Mark Rubin is an unabashed Southern Jew, known equally for his muscular musicianship and larger than life persona. Over an accomplished 30 plus year career, he has accompanied or produced a virtual who's who of American traditional music while straddling numerous musical genres, including country, western swing, bluegrass, Cajun, Tex Mix, polka, klezmer, roma, and more. He is perhaps best known for co-founding the notorious proto-Americana band Bad Livers, though his more recent work as a first-called two-band brass player in the klezmer music scene has now earned him equal notoriety. His latest album, The Triumph of Assimilation, featuring songs of social justice and Southern Jewish Americana, is coming out on June 1st, but you can pre-order it now. And I would highly recommend that you do so. We will have all the links you need to do that in our show notes. How's your apocalypse going, Mark? Well, um, you know, after the Chauvin Burgett um, that we just uh, received yesterday, um, a modicum less awful. Just a a little tiny modicum less awful, you know, the, uh, that arc that, uh, that is long that we hear about so much that's supposed to bend towards justice may, um, may just have bent just a teeny weeny little bit towards that justice I keep hearing about. So, uh, you know, uh, my apocalypse has been, um, has been interesting. Um, but, uh, feeling pretty, uh, pretty upbeat. Um, as, as much as a, as much as a guy with my experience can have. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was, um, I think like everyone else, I was waiting very nervously for that news yesterday and was glad there was, yeah, that little tiny bend towards justice at least. Well, I I think what's awful is that as commentators pointed out, we, we woke up with not a lot of hope. Yeah. You know, we we woke up uh, the morning of the verdict uh, with not a lot of hope and we were ready to be disappointed again. Shame on us. You know what I mean? Shame mm-hmm. on a society that allowed us to feel that way. And uh, so uh, and the fact that we're celebrating that it turned out the right way. Boy, shame on us again. Yeah. Um, you know, um, we should not actually be celebrating. We should be pondering this moment uh why uh, you know why is it that uh that we feel the need to celebrate that justice uh, was served and we watched we watched a person get murdered and the murderer was dealt with um that should be that that that's not special that's um you know shame on us for thinking that that's something special today um it, and i'm not gonna use one of those hoary old lines we have a lot of work to do but come on people Come on. Hey, what a cheery way to start our talk, huh? <laughs> hey. Oh. It's it's interesting to to think about all of the ways that like a better system would work though. I I do feel like there's like a lot of positivity. I don't like the word positive negative is so polarizing, but I I do feel like there is a lot of help 
in uh, in paying attention to the way it would work if we didn't have, you know, racist institutions that are usually not held accountable. Well, and it, it, like I said, we woke up, you know, I wake up this next day feeling like somebody got held accountable. So great. Let's start. Let's roll. Let's roll from there. Yeah. We have a precedent. Let's we have a precedent. Good. Yay team. Let's go. Yeah. Suit up. Let's let's go to work. That's that's we have a precedent. Let's keep moving. That sounds great. But otherwise, through this apocalypse, uh, you know, um, uh, for a person, as uh, Sarah may know, I'm a people person. I'm a sociable guy. Uh, this has been I like to travel. That's the other thing is as a. Uh, as people who know me and I, 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 you know, like to, I like to spread my message. I like to meet with the peoples. You know what I mean? I, I don't like to uh, be cooped up. And so this has been a peculiarly terrible blow um, this, uh, this last year. Uh, I'm also not the picture of health. Um, I am a type two diabetic. I am overweight and I have, asthma um though i'm you know so i'm what we like to refer what my doctor would call covid's best friend uh so that led a lot of pressure a lot of uh what you call anxiety uh over my head and uh you know so it uh you know and then there was the existential dread you know there was uh there was you know for uh uh me personally um the rising tide of fascism in our country, uh, which some of us knew about because we had experienced it and we were also trained as children to see it uh, because we came from households uh, that had narratives that had been, a, that our families had been affected by fascism. In fact, one of the reasons why we lived in this country in the first place was because we had to flee it because members of our families, in fact, were the victims of it. And uh, to see it so plainly and so obviously embraced by our neighbors uh, was, it's just terrifying. And um, to be, um, to be raised Jewish in America and to uh, to have a Holocaust narrative in one's own family and to be raised aware that, you know, your neighbors um, oftentimes are not your friends and then to actually just see it, um, just to see it every day and uh, to see uh, the, you know, as a, as my dear friend, uh, my old buddy, Danny Barnes, the bad livers was just explaining to me the other day, he goes, Normally, I'm really good at gauging this stuff, but I had no idea it was going to be 7 million of them. I didn't know there were that many fascists. I didn't think there were that many fascists. And I'm going, Danny, I mean, he was apologizing to me, you know, um, uh, because I had told him all along that there were a lot more of my neighbors who weren't really interested in being my neighbor uh, or being neighborly to me, if that makes sense to you. And... um, you know, and I'm uh, I'm also a personal struggle that I don't mind sharing with you is that I am a diagnosed bipolar too, mm. and uh, under medication and under uh, uh, psychiatric care, and uh, my uh, you know 
one of the things that I talk to a lot with my psychologist and my counselor is um, systemized, systematic anti-Semitism and how my relationship with it uh, early in my life and how I have experienced it uh, in my life and in my career. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, the thing is, is that my psychiatrist uh, called me in right after Charlottesville, mm-hmm. if, if you will require, if you'll remember that. And uh, he's from Mississippi. And we get along real well because he and I are both country boys. I don't know if you can tell by the way I talk. Um, but uh, he pulled me in. He sat me down and he goes, well, you know, Mark, um, I don't mind telling you that for a long time I had you pegged in my book as a delusional prepper. As mildly delusional. And now... I have you in my book as well prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said, I don't have any more drugs for you. <laughs> and and it was one of those moments where it was like, I can't tell you. I mean, this sounds terrible for our nation. It sounds terrible. But like when somebody sits you down and says, no, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. They are out to get you. You know, that, that it's, it is true. Uh, uh, it's, it is worse than you know. And I, I just want you to know as well, uh, I've made dear friends with people because of my background in punk rock, believe it or not. And back in the old days in Oklahoma, there were a lot of people in the punk rock scene who were also national socialists and they were the kind of people who hung out with the sorts of people who were like Tim McVeigh, if that's a name that resonates with anybody. But, uh, so there was a lot of crossover back then in both in, uh, Oklahoma city and Dallas. So through my work in the anti-racist and anti-fascist punk rock scene back in the very early eighties, I made the acquaintance of people, uh, who now work in that field today uh, for the with the Center for Extremism and with the Anti Defamation League, and uh, I'm just here to tell you, uh, I know some things that y'all don't know, and uh, it was a lot. It's a lot worse. Uh, it, it was and is, and it remains a lot worse than you think it does. Um, and that uh, that knowing that uh, is no help. Yeah. If that makes sense to you. Oh yeah. And and that you that 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 the only way that I've known how to keep it together uh personally is that I go to the gun range once a week. And I just touch up on my I just touch up on my skills. Yeah. That's his, um actually the first time in my life about a year ago I started looking into buying a gun and actually getting my skills together in that area too, which I never thought was something I would consider and I'm not even necessarily, I mean, I'm a woman and, you know, I pass as, I guess, I mean, I'm not straight, but I pass as straight. So like, I'm maybe not targeted the way that like, you are, but it's still that feeling of, you know, foreboding and that feeling of it is worse than, you know, is like, I think is definitely real. And a lot of us yeah. are feeling that on certain levels. 
for sure. You know, it is problematic. Uh, The Second Amendment and gun culture in our country, it goes without saying, is problematic. Yeah. But I come I come from a military family um, of, of ranchers um, and country people. So I, I come from a gun culture uh, wrapped around practical shooting and 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 uh, and uh, target shooting. And, and so I I'm not from the, you know, the the gravy seals, you know, meal team six, you know, the, the, that kind of school. Yeah. But I, I I will tell you that. You know, in recent days, I have traded in my target weapons for weapons of war. And um, and and that is something I never thought I would ever do in my lifetime. And uh, uh, ashamed to say it. Um, I'm ashamed to say that that's where we're at. I'm also ashamed to say that um, I also know many people like you, Sarah, uh, young Jewish folks, actually. And young, in particular, um, who come and see me, and I've walked them through the process of purchasing a firearm and training them. And we go to the range; they come with me to the range. Look, this is not the kind of community organizing I had in mind. This is not, you know what I mean. This is yeah. not. Um, this is not uh, when I when I said that I wanted to get together and talk about anti-fascism and anti-racism and and um, uh, the the Jewish uh, commandment of tikkun alone to heal the world, to make it better, a better place than we found it, which is the, you know, if we want to talk about my music, which we'll get around to at some point, um, that's the core of my, my raison d'etre, if to use a fancy French word, the reason why I get up in the morning. Um, if you would have told me that it would be to, to protect, you know, to be in a position of, of protecting um, or see myself in a position of protecting my community, I mean, it, it makes me cry. Just think about it. Yeah. Well, that's real. So. Yeah, it's really one of we don't like to think in, you know, nuanced sort of yes and terms in this country because we're so conditioned to be polarized. But the truth is we all we all should be training ourselves in all the ways to deal with, you know, to be anti-fascist, whether it's through knowing the history or through knowing how to defend ourselves against people with weapons. I mean, I plan to construct a bubble around myself personally that people can roll me down the street in. It'll be impervious. And I'll just shout commands. My... <laughs> like the Pope Mobile? <laughs> the Joy Mobile? Yeah. The Joy Mobile is going to be a party and a half. I'll sit in it. It'll just roll around. There'll be some lights. But, you know, it's it it goes without saying, I mean, um, that a lot of the economic and social conditions which led to the the rise of fascism in Europe, which is contributing to the rise of fascism in Europe and in in, quote unquote uh, uh, liberal democracies around the around the world today. Those this is not new. These these we have seen this before. And I think Jewish people in particular, this has been hammered into us uh, from such a young age. And I'm 
I'm 54. I'm not a millennial. Um, I'm, I'm also not a baby boomer. I'm kind of in this weird space uh, between. And um, the thing is, is that the view of history that I've been able to have um, is is absolutely terrifying because I see a, a, a group of young people now in their 20s who don't remember what it was like to have active, active semitism. They've never, they've never experienced it. Um, they've never understood the slow boil, uh, that we kind of, that we kind of, uh, grew up with. And so now that they, uh, now that's kind of like out in the open there and it's, it's, it's now intersectional now. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, real. it's, it's, it's really, but it was for some people in Charlottesville, it was just so shocking because we were expecting good old fashioned um, down South racism. You know what I mean? We were, we were really expecting, you know, some good old clan racism. And what did they come out with? They said the Jews will not replace us. Boy, and that was a wake-up call because these folks are intersectional in their hatred. They are, they are out there. They are. They want transgendered people out. They are. They are. They know who their enemies are, and it is a collective. And they are. Um, uh, they're on top of it. And the thing is, is that uh, the thing is, is that we are not. <laughs> you know, we, we on the, uh, the, we, the targets of those, of the, of these folks, the targets of fascism, the targets of the ultra right, um, have yet to, uh, come together in the meaningful ways with which, uh, we've been able to fight this back. And I guess I want to get back to my point was these, um, these, this inability to connect together, become intersectional, and fight this as a unified uh, force is precisely what led to uh, the Shoah, to the Holocaust uh, occurring in the first place. And it was during, I mean, and Sarah's known me a long, long time, um, there was a poem by a Yiddish poet named Mordecai Gebertig. And in the Yiddish-speaking community in this kind of uh, wonderful Yiddish renaissance that I've been a part of, what's, they call it the Klezmer community, um, this poet is very well known. He, he operated in Poland in those terrifying years right before World War II, in Poland of all places. Mm. And his, his poetry... Many of these poems were also songs, but he was a committed socialist um, and a committed, uh, uh, a, you know, an anti-fascist. And he wrote these songs that totally presaged what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And in his songs, he cried out for action. He he's in and the one song that got me the most was a thing called Es Brent. Es Brent Yiddelach. It's burning, my Jews. Everything in the shtetl is burning. 
but all you're doing is standing around. You idiots, pick up a bucket. The everything, it's burning. If you, you know what I mean? It's this yeah. immediacy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the thing is, is this man was machine gunned by the Nazis in 1942. He didn't even have a chance to get on the cattle car to go to the Mauthausen death camp. He was, they just, they were just spraying machine guns around and caught him before he could get on the train. Um, uh, the only reason why we have his poetry was because it was smuggled out uh, uh, while he was interned in a small village outside Krakow before they put him in the ghetto. Um, and this tune, like this poem, like 20 years ago, I recorded this tune in Yiddish on my uh, on one of my klezmer records. And amongst in the Yiddish community, this is a very well-known piece of music. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is it sung in Yiddish? It's a language. It's a language of the Jewish people. It's a language that that we understand and we know. But the thing is, is that Jewish pain is not. We you know we don't have the uh, we don't have the patent on bad news. Mm-hmm. We don't have the patent on genocide. We don't have the patent on societies burning to the ground we don't have this patent um it struck me that the message of this poet the message of the moment was just too prescient it was just too important and i remember this song had been rolling literally since i first recorded it some 20 years ago i was rolling it around in my head and i thought this is a murder ballad Mm. This is a murder ballad. This song is really a murder ballad. And I just couldn't put the two and two together until I saw the the fires burning this summer. Mm -hmm. Until I saw Minneapolis. And I saw the rioting and the place is going up in flames and it all came together for me. And I just kind of sat down and I took Gobertig's poem and I tried to distill the essence of it, but then I added all kinds of verses and, Mm. and, and added things that would make it contextual to our experience today. And I, I recorded this piece of music called, and I called it, in English, it's burning. Mm. Mm. So I had this single and, and I was like, I went around to a bunch of people and I said, well, I've got this single here. I think it's kind of compelling. I think it's kind of important. And, uh, can I, can I, and I, and you know, this is during the lockdown and I had a little bit of that stimulus money that I'd kind of squared away. And I said, I will pay a publicist to put this out. Well, I would go to publicists and they would say, well, we don't really put out singles, but we do put out records. If you'll go back and make a record, we'll work with you. And so I thought long and hard about it. And I said, 
do I do I have a whole album's worth of statements to make? And the fact of the matter was, as I did. Yeah. And so I took two more Yiddish poems, one more from Mordecai Gebertig, a tune called A Day of Revenge, which was one of the poems that he wrote in 1940, just two years before his murder. And I, it sounds so much like like revenge porn. It sounds it's it sounds like this. It sounds like this poem that we're going to wreak out our revenge for everything that's ever happened to us. It just goes on and on and on and on. And then at the very end, I think it 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 wraps up with what I think is the quintessentially Jewish response to oppression and terror. And that is the lyric, I stick to Gebertig's line. I said, it comes to us, I can see it. Mankind will turn its back on war. I can see it clear as a distant shore. It comes to us like Noah's dove, a message of kindness, peace, and love. And that too, I thought, was as prescient today, mm-hmm. you know, in an idea of revenge. I took another tune that's very well known called Meinrua Plots, which is a really sad song. It's a Yiddish labor ballad that's really, really famous. It was written in the wake of the Triangle uh, Shirtwaist Fire. Are you familiar with that? I, I think okay. I am, but let's unpack it a little bit the details uh, i'm i'm super i'm fuzzy enough on the details but in 1911 um there was a a a horrific fire at at a industrial uh in in a place called the triangle shirtwaist factory in new york at this building called the triangle building that's still there it's pretty famous but the bosses uh had locked up the all the exit doors uh, to keep uh, people from sneaking out on breaks and uh there were terrible they was overpacked and terrible conditions before unions and uh it burnt up uh burnt up all of these poor women and uh the uh, uh there were women jumping from the uh uh um from i think the 11th floor to try and get out of the building it was uh it was a terrific tragedy and Morris Rosenfeld was a very famous Yiddish poet known as the poet of the slums and the sweatshops. And he wrote this amazing poem to commemorate this horrific event. And uh, I had, uh, I, once again, I, I, I changed it around. I, I envisioned uh, what would Del McCory do with this song? Yeah. And you know what I mean? And trying to, trying to take this song out of, a, a purely Jewish or Yiddish world and try and bring that message into a greater context. Mm-hmm. And on this one, I had my dear friend Danny Barnes come in and uh, he played the banjo on that. And so he helped me out with that one. So there I had, I had several pieces like that. And are, are you familiar with the activist uh, Psycon? I am. Yeah. I would say when I'm familiar with, like, I know his name, but I'm not as familiar with the work he's done. Yeah, Psycon yeah. has been working there in North Carolina for decades and decades and decades. He's a labor organizer and a uh, working in environmental rights right now. 
Um, just an amazing individual. Uh, when I had a group called the Atomic Duo, um, he sought uh, he sought us out, became our mentors, was very, very, uh, very, very supportive of our work. Now that I'm on my own, he's still keeping up on, still keeping up with me. Um, he uh, gave me a song to sing on this record called Unnatural Disasters, which is a frankly amazing song about anti-Semitism um, that I wish I had wrote. Uh, when you hear it, uh, the, the, the lyric is pretty out there. I tried to describe it as a Borat episode wrapped up in as a, th- as a three minute song. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it's uh have you, have you got the record there, sir? Have I, you heard it? Yeah, I listened to it today actually. And I, it's great. And I think it's such an interesting, um, you know, culmination of so many of these musical threads you've had throughout your career, as well as being really prescient to like the moment we're in right now. So um, yeah, just for our listeners, I'd love to hear a little bit more. I mean, I think you've answered like five of my questions at once, which I knew you would do. (laughs) I love hearing all this, all of these like paths that you've been going down to, um, to create this project. That's very clearly um, like coming through your DNA. Mm. Well, you know, um, I think, I think it takes a lifetime Somebody, I think Guru was saying that it takes a lifetime to find out who the heck you actually are. Yeah. Uh, um, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, like you're in a, you're in a constant, and and I think the way you do that is by ex, uh, subtraction, um, a certain amount of uh, stripping away. It's by editing and by editing and by editing and taking away. It's like removing your clothes until the point of where you become naked, and. And I really feel that, you know, I've been playing music professionally since 1982, you know, and so I've been at this game playing music a long, long time. And this record, yeah, this record here will be my third record under my own name. But, you know, I kind of, you know, the people who know me well, are like, they're telling me, no, this is the first record that you've really put out. You know, this is the first record of you that, that, that kind of sounds like you and is coming from you. And I think that, that there are examples of that. For instance, um, there's a piece on the record which comes directly from the Friday night religious service, you know, that I, that I, that I perform on the, on the five string banjo. It's a thing called a Vinu Malkanu. Um, now I altered it. I altered it a little bit to be my own composition, but it, it essentially is, it's a thing called Musak. It's a, a, a religious uh, melody. Now that may seem sound ironic coming from a deeply committed agnostic and all, but um, there, uh, there is something culturally about being Jewish that, uh, doesn't get you off the hook from coming from Friday night services. Yeah. If that makes any sense to you, the, uh, uh, the Jewish emphasis upon ethics and study, um, which, which happens, uh, and also community. Um, and the fact that 
we don't really have unbelievers. There's a joke in the Hasidic community that there really isn't anything as Jews aren't unbelievers. There's just Jews who haven't studied enough. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it's, it's fair. So, you know, so I'm in a, I'm a, I'm in a constant state of study uh, because uh, there's, there's some wonderful ethics to be found. Um, it's a, it's a beautiful, um, I, I look at it as a big book of fairy tales and some really great, um, some really wonderful, uh, in the Talmud, in our, uh, in our 2000 years of, uh, fighting over the details, we've come up with some really great ethics, which I think, uh, I ascribe to, and I like to, uh, I like to fight for. And one of the, one of the greatest is the concept of Takuna Law, the idea of we wake up in a broken world. And it's our job to repair what we can do, that no one is off the hook. One of my favorite parables about that um, comes from a Hasidic community is that you find yourself um, in a grove enjoying the shade of a fruit tree. And you reach up and you enjoy a piece of fruit and you enjoy the shade. And you must acknowledge that the person that, planted that tree um, would never live to enjoy that shade, nor would they ever eat of that fruit. So it's incumbent upon you to do the same for someone else. And it's those, it's, it's having that kind of thought process in mind when you're with your actions. Um, my native American friends talk about this thinking seven generations ahead Um when they do something, it's that, uh, it's that kind of mindset that, uh, I think, you know, attracts me to remaining within, as you like say, my DNA. I'm glad, I'm glad that that came through on the project for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like, even from the first note, the title, I was like, yeah, this is like Mark, the most Mark record Mark has ever marked. Very Marky. Yes, very much. It's a hundred percent marky. Don't ask for any substitutes. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess the idea is, you know, um, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping even though, and I, your listeners may be like, you know, the name, the name of the act is Jew of Oklahoma. And we're, I've talked about Jewish concepts here. I'm, I'm hoping that, that there is in these songs of struggle and in these messages, there is something universal. I'm not trying to be super particular um, in these messages. I'm, I'm hoping that there is that people find something um, in, in, you know, they're in, in particularly non-denominational. But, you know, as I like to say, it's burning in my song. It's burning. There's someplace somewhere burning right now. Somewhere, someplace it's burning. And the, it, there's something can be done to fix it. You know, and that's that's not just a Jewish question or a Jewish problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Human condition right there. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, there's so many directions. Did you have any questions right now, Joy? I mean, <laughs> like I I also could go in so many different directions. I I feel like I, I relate to you know, I, I have some of the, these DNA strands in common in that I'm um, of Jewish and Italian ancestry. And, you know, both both of my great greats, at least, um, 
came over fleeing fascists. And so as a result, you know, I've also gotten quite attuned um, and also was in the military. So have this conflicted sort of um, understanding of like how like the U.S. military is an extremely like white supremacist friendly organization, shall we say. Um, but then also is held up as this, like, you know, like we beat the fascists, we beat Hitler. And it's like, that's where you, we have to start thinking in this yes. And <laughs> like, it is possible to, um, fight fascists and also be one and become one. And, uh, if you don't eradicate the system, <laughs> Yeah, no, no quarter can be given to a fascist, none whatsoever. It needs to be eradicated and pulled out from the root. I mean, I think that that's, and I mean, uh, I come from a military family. I'm the only uh, member of my family uh, to not wear the uniform of the United States Army. Um, my grandfather, uh, when he uh, was the was the first child born here in the United States, and immediately joined the U.S. Army uh, when he could. In 1933, I'll have you know, because he saw what was coming. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just uh, Rubens tend to see stuff on the horizon. Um, <laughs> so uh, so we, we did, we united as a country and did fight fascism, um, bearing in mind there was an American Nazi party. You know what I mean? There was a Klan here. There was a white citizen council. We, we had fascists suiting up in American uniforms and going to fight the war by all means. I mean, Lindbergh, come on. Uh, we have a, <laughs> a, a great, a great uh, history of dabbling in, in, in fascism here in the United States. But here we now have the U S armed forces. What was it? 42 of the people, 42 of the 400 um, cases of the people who's of the insurrectionists that they have tried, uh, 43 of them were U S army veterans, you know, surprising. Yeah. you know, so, um, the, the, you know, our, our, many of our government, many of our armed and militarized government institutions, let's not just say the U S army, but many of our armed government institutions, um, are rife with, um, you know, uh, crypto fascists, and and some uh, completely out 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 in the open, and it's because we've provided them with a uh, a friendly venue, and uh, uh, we as a nation have to step back for a second and go, what's going on? Like how did how did we get how like how did we get to this point? I mean, we could say Ronald Reagan and the Southern Strategy. We could, yeah. you know, we could, we could, we, we could you know, go, go do that. Capitalism. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we could, you know, capitalism, late, late stage capitalism. You know, yeah. we could, we could, we could, we could, we could, we could get into that. Um, but the, to you know, to quote a friend of mine, um, we all know what the problem is. What's going to be the solution? And um, the uh, uh, to be frank with you, I'm not, I'm not at, I'm not at that end. You know, the, that's, that hasn't ever really been at my end. Mm -hmm. What, um, what I'm up to right now, um, for myself, um, because of, I'll, I, let me just share a little story with you that kind of illustrates where I'm at. Yeah. 
And you'll excuse me, this is a hard story to tell. I'm down here in New Orleans, and we've got um, these nightclubs where we play native New Orleans music and uh, black music of, from different eras. And there's a lot of young musicians who flock here to play the music. A lot of them come out of jazz schools, very talented musicians. Now, the way these clubs are set up is that you're cheek to jowl with the audience. Um, there's, you know, like when you open up the door, there's a band right there. You know what I mean? They're like, it's these are old old school clubs you know what i mean some of them been around a long long time so there's a there's a there's a guy that i work with nice kid his name is joe goldberg wonderful musician and uh he was playing with a, a jazz band and they were having a hot night and at the end of the night while they were packing up um a guy came by with the tip and, and there was a tip jar sitting right by the door, right by Joe. And he's packing up his gear right by the door, right by the tip jar. Guy comes by, obviously a country boy. He pulls out a $20 bill and he's holding it up kind of funny. And he's kind of waving it over the tip jar. And he goes, excuse me, son. I didn't quite catch your name. And he goes, well, my name's Joe. Joe, huh? Joe what? And he said, Goldberg. And to which the fellow goes, Goldberg, huh? I guess you're one of them goddamn filthy Jews. And then just goes on a tirade about how he must want this dollar bill here. What you going to do for this dollar bill here? Wow. Yeah. Now, now I found out about this because I got a text on my phone at 4.15 that morning because, see, that had never happened to him before. Mm. He was just 23. He's just 23 years old. Now, he's from the South. He's from Florida. Just 23 years old. And he says to me, I didn't know what to do. I just didn't know what to do. And then he says to me, and nobody was there to help me out. So, yeah, there you have it, friends. That's what young Jewish people have got coming at them right now. They don't know what to do. And they don't have a lot of friends <laughs> willing to help them out. So that's kind of, that's when we went gun shopping. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, that's not an isolated story. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that if I'm doing anything 
if I'm doing anything with my music is to illustrate to one group of people, look, this is going to happen. We got to get together on this and be united. Uh, we've got to have tools to mount against this. It's okay. We, you know, there's a bunch of us. We're going to be okay. We got through this before. We're going to get through this again, mm -hmm. right? The, to one audience of people, that's what I've got to say. And to another audience of people, I got, I said, look what you're doing to us. You're going to have to do a lot better, damn it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's that. If my, if Mark Rubin, Jew of Oklahoma, is doing anything here, it's to provide aid and comfort to those who are now being, who have this whole new world that they're waking up in, where we used to be a long time ago. We thought we, we thought we put that stuff away. Look, I'm the guy who had the cross burned in his yard. You know what I mean? I thought that that was over. Like my dad's the one who had him take down the no colors, no Indians, you know, signs off of the uh, public pool, no Catholics, no Jews. I mean, they took those signs down. That was 1977. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. no, 1977. 1977. Yeah. That's my lifetime. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, it's not that, yeah. But we thought we'd gotten through that. We worked our tails off. We did, like, we thought, like, yeah. we, there was a, there's so much patent on the back. We middle-aged activists, you know what I mean, thought we had done. Mm. And here we are. Here we are. What the F? Yeah, <laughs> you can say fuck on this podcast. Yeah, oh. yeah. We, we encourage it. We encourage healthy fuck. I gotta say, it's it's so I, I've got I've got two. So if if I can get across, you know, I'm obviously not making this music to make any money, as you can tell by listening. <laughs> you know, um, right. And I'm, I obviously, it's not a question of career because you're not going to make a career doing any of this. But I will say that there's this interesting time in our history, especially when it comes to quote unquote diversity, especially in the, say, Americana or country music scene, where I do believe, I do believe there might be just a little crack in there. Just a little crack in there where um, we can have some intersectionality a little bit. You know what I mean? They're allowing people color a little bit of a voice in there. They're allowing other folks a little bit of a voice. And I would just like a chance to have a, just a seat at the table where I can show up and go, look what you're doing to these people. Look what you are doing. When you've done it before, don't make us suit up again. Don't make us do this again, because it's going to get ugly. It will get ugly, and it will get ugly quick. And look, in my lifetime, I have toured Croatia 
and Serbia. Mm-hmm. I've toured there. I toured there in 2000. They had just stopped shooting in 1999, and I was there in 2001. So I've seen and talked to people, and they told me it turned on a dime. Everything was fine, and 10 days later, it wasn't. And so uh, the idea is to nip all this stuff in the bud. And fascism should be given no quarter, and it has to be taken out at the root as just as soon as it possibly can. And it needs to be pointed out and talked about and identified at every turn. And like I said, that's what this hand is doing over here. (laughs) I've got this one hand. I have this one hand of comfort and it's going to be okay. And we're going to get through this. We got to stick together as a community and bind together with our friends in these other intersectional communities. And then the other hand is look, look what you're doing to us again. Please do not do this again. So those are, that's, that's, if you if 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 there's a message I have for the listeners today about why you're listening to this guy today, those are my takeaways. Those are my takeaways for you. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something really powerful too about being able to share those stories, even if you were hoping you probably wouldn't have to share them again in this context. You know, it's okay. It's okay. That's what these are for. You know, there's a there's an old Jewish parable. Jews like to tell parables, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a par there's a parable about parables, and that is that's so meta. <laughs> right. Par- See, parable is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Parable is beautiful, but truth truth is ugly. Mm. So when parable and truth walk down the, through the streets, nobody wants to look at truth. So parable goes. Don't you worry, truth. Put me on like a coat. And then every then everybody will want you in their house. See. Uh, I really like even, that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's 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 really do you feel like you um do you feel like that is your your uh sort of go to at this point when you're when you're songwriting and when you're when you're looking to communicate through music do you see music as a sort of parable for truth well i'll be i'll be i'll be 100 honest with you um i see my songwriting as reportage i am it is um i am writing broadsides i am telling a story if you listen very closely I almost never have a chorus because that's wasted information. There, there, there needs to be time. If you listen to the ballad, of, if you listen to the murder of Leo Frank, which is on my record, right? Uh, totally. Th- yeah. uh, that is that is Pretty just a story. There, yeah. They drain the gas tanks of the cops, cut down the telephone wires. Handcuff the friendly warden, and with Frank, they bid goodbye. I essentially, I have a, I have a message I'd like to share with you. A, like a, there's a picture in your mind's eye that I'd like to paint, and I'm going to do that with the English language. 
and essentially draw you in and paint you this picture with words. Now, I know that I'm talking to one of the greatest wordsmiths that I know here. Um, one of the two, one of them, <laughs> by the way, Sarah is one of, fantastic. My, yes. one of my favorite writers. So uh, I've read a lot of good writing. So I've been really lucky and I've, you know, I've hung out with in my many, 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 many years of being in the music business, I've worked with some of the greatest songwriters. And one of the things that they just told me was, look, Mark, you're a damn good storyteller. You're a damn good storyteller. So just make it rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that is, that's the parable too, isn't it? I mean, I'm kind of like, I appreciate the, the ballad and, and the, the straightforward lyric and the rhyming straightforward lyric, like so, so deeply. So as wordsmiths, I feel like we have a certain kind of power, but then with music, music is in and of itself, like a softener of truth in a way, you know, like you're not just shouting these stories from the rooftops, you know, you're you're playing them and singing them and that is that <clears throat> excuse me in in its own way is a little bit of a parabolizing in my opinion would you I oh i say. agree entirely also also uh, music and um style of music can be used um as a as a layer of context is what i've found like for instance, simply taking these Yiddish pieces and performing them, you know, as a murder bout, you know, taking, take, you know what I mean? Is that's a thing that yeah. that's a context in and of itself um, that could be construed as a statement, you know, um, using like th- this may not register to anybody else, but like, uh, there's a, the one bit of Jewish music that I did put on the recording. Um, it's called, uh, down South kosher. Um, I set the tune of the, of, I set the music, I set the song to the tune of a, of a klezmer piece that's played at a wedding. And it's a song of, it's a dance of anger and reconcilement that two um, that the two mother-in-laws are supposed to dance. Mm. Right. And it's a, like a very particular thing. And it's like anger and reconcilement. And so the song is about reconciling yourself to the fact that you can't keep kosher. So <laughs> to me, so I, I called it a dance of <laughs> hunger and reconcile. So, <laughs> so, so it, it, so in other words, the choice of the music can have context. You're absolutely correct. Um, also, I've always kind of looked at the music as kind of like, that's the cracker. That's the tortilla. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That the meat, that the meat goes on. And you know that, that, that uh, a lot of other people really spend a lot of time super, super crafting their music. But uh, this is going to sound maybe a little conceited, but man, music just falls out of me, man. Like the tunes just like, um, like, uh, I go around whistling all day and, and, uh, 
and chords and putting stuff together and like writing music. Like if I get a wild hair, like to uh, like come up with a song or if somebody goes, would you write me a song about this? And I, I just do it. I just, it just, it, it's not that hard. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, for instance, I hate to even say this, but there are two songs on my record that I wrote um, three weeks out of recording the record. That's awesome. That's <laughs> but, wonderful. But was, but, oh, sorry. What were you going to say? You finish up, Mark. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, but I mean, you know, play the strikes. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, what 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 is it that you that you that you do best? I mean, in, um, when I was in my last group that Sarah remembers, is a group called Atomic Duo. Um, I didn't really have my songsmithing together, but I, I could, I could, uh, I could do music. Oh, looky there. Oh, yeah. This has been like, <laughs> this hat has seen many, many things. <laughs> yeah. It looks like the kind of hat that you would wear. To I almost, many I things. almost forgot that holding up the hat that says the atomic duo presents an ironic trucker cap. <laughs> yeah, thank you for verbalizing that for the listeners that would probably that was, what are they talking that about was, that was that was one of our one of our uh one of our anti-capitalist uh um uh, uh merchandising yeah <laughs> uh, anti, it was anti-capitalist because we never made any money we were never <laughs> that's how you keep your principles kept our principles by remaining broke I do want to yeah. say that 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 group that I was in, um, Atomic Duo, I was in that group for about five years and toured all across the U.S. and Canada uh, on a shoestring, and uh, that was uh, that was a group that uh, that we build ourselves as the openly socialist folk duo, and, <laughs> and and we did so at a time when that was not cool. Like yeah. that was not cool to do. And unlike a lot of other groups that would do that, we played places like Iowa City, Iowa and uh, and uh, Lawrence, Kansas and uh, uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And what we we specialized in playing the flyover states mm-hmm. and and didn't didn't really play on the coasts and I learned quite a lot about how to, um, you know, connect with audiences, especially audiences that maybe necessarily weren't really on board with you Mm, and weren't really, weren't really necessarily interested in hearing what you had to say. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and, and I will say that I probably, I don't mind uh, admitting that I probably picked up a little bit, of uh, lyrical um, uh, tricks here and there too from my former partner at the time, Silas Lowe. Yeah. So uh, that was, uh, um, and and we toured, boy, we toured and toured and toured nearly 150 dates a year there for about uh, for about three of our five years, and played major folk festivals and uh, played union halls and played for the FLCIO meetings and things like that, and. Uh, uh, that, that was a very, very formative time for me. It was a very formative time for me, um, prior to my, um, uh, relocating here to New Orleans, which, uh, I don't think I would have been able to get my head together 
uh, to get to the headspace to where I was able to do what I am doing now, however. So, yeah, because um, when it, how long have you been in New Orleans now? It's been a few years, right? In a few years. It's been yeah. almost, uh, it's been just about, well, the pandemic, you know, uh, makes us all lose a year. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 is canceled. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure. Um, pretty sure I got here April of 2015. So it's about no, no, tw- uh, 2014, 2014, April 2014. So seven, it's years. About seven years. Through seven years, New Orleans anniversary. No, no anniversary. Yeah, but you, <laughs> yeah, you can you can live here if you weren't born and raised here. Though you can live here your whole life, and you're not a New Orleanian. That's uh, that's yeah. that's that's part of the rules here part of the rules it's quite all right it's yeah. quite all right i'm i'm the jew of oklahoma though so it works out <laughs> yeah um, right, right you're from norman right that's what i was i was noticing which you have in common with one of our previous uh podcast guests alex scott who was on the norman city council and uh it, yeah she she did some work to help get the police budget uh Slashed there. If ever um, a place needed their police (laughs) budget slashed, it would be the Norman Police Department. We should connect you with Alex. I have, uh, I have been, I have been beaten by a Norman police officer in my life. Yes, indeed. Welcome to. That was back in the old days when the cops would come to punk rock shows just to beat up people. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's the early eighties. It was a different world. And at the same time, it was kind of the same. It's just, <laughs> they've just come up with different reasons. <laughs> they've just come up with different reasons. It's very, very true. It's very, very true. Absolutely. <laughs> I just wanted to also give Joy props for being very similar in that I feel like songs just kind of fall out of you. You'll just, like, send me something over Messenger and be like, I just wrote this. Is it any good? And I'll be like, I'm, right, listen, I'm like, singing this all night now. Oh, <laughs> well, I... I also, like, am super insecure about my songs and never know if something that's funny to me is going to be funny to anybody else, and especially in the pandemic. I, but either way, comedy or not, like, I, I think I just love rhyming that much. I don't know. But the drive to turn experiences into music is one that, like, you can't quench it once you start started releasing it am i right <laughs> oh yeah I, I think so too i think so too that's you know lived experience without a doubt i mean i i, I on my on my record before this one um i wrote a i wrote a song an, an ode to bipolarism <laughs> you know the I name yeah. you know like just trying to explain you know like how can you explain what it is you know what it's like you know what i mean like how, you know like well but trying i've like, or for instance, on that, on my, on my record before this one that just came out, I'm real proud of the record that came out before this one. And you're supposed to talk about the record that you're talking about now, but you know, whatever. I have a, I have a record, I have a record called Songs for the Hangman's Daughter that I released. And it was just me and a guitar, me and a banjo, one take, whole record. And, uh, I wrote a song about, um, a cultural appropriation because uh-huh. I was done, I was done talking about it. I'm just sick to death. I'm just, if you can't get it, if you can't figure it out, then you don't have a heart nor a mind, you know, like, and, and the way, and the way I look at it 
is it's just an issue of good manners. Yeah. It's just, it's just, Uh it's just simple, good manners. And, um, I took about, I took about six life situations that happened to me in my life that just irked me to no end. And I, I, I basically wrote a poem and then I just set it to music. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's a Zulu German master with, with complexion alabaster makes his living teaching African percussion. Well, he knows every beat, but he will beat a quick retreat if you wish to challenge his appropriations. (laughs) Have you ever heard the word no? That's the songs about the word no. Right. (laughs) I like it. Have, Have you ever heard a no found a room that you can't go? Is everything here laid out for your pleasure? You know, with your privilege that you assert you might cause some pain and untold hurt, gentrifying yet another culture's treasures. Tell me, have you ever heard a no? Hmm. <laughs> Snaps. Oh, <Snaps>. man. <laughs> maybe, maybe that can be one of the ones we feature. Because honestly, I mean, you know from the touring that you've done and from the festivals that you've played that cultural mm-hmm. appropriation is... Um, the standard that at most of those festivals, it's um, well. It's, think about people this, get really think, pissy when you bring it up. <laughs> well, <laughs> just um, say. well, it's it's kind of like uh, it's well, it's it's you know, whiteness is the standard. English is the standard. Whiteness mm-hmm. is the standard. Maleness, you know, is right. the standard. Heterosexuality mm-hmm. is the standard. All of these, mm-hmm. if if it if it if and, and these things, it's a given that these things reign supreme, and anything that they have, and you know, can they can have? I mean, they can just have, right? Um, and you know, I, I I come from a culture that's appropriated on a regular basis, um, and I, I I mean, you know, oh, poor little baby watches. Non-Jews play Jewish music. Ooh, poor little baby. Ooh. You know what I mean? Like, comes in, you know, like, okay, whatever. But look, man, um, uh, it, you're absolutely correct. It's an entire, it's, there's an, it's the entire machine. But let's talk about another cultural appropriation. Um, uh, <laughs> there seems to be a fad amongst the moneyed college grads to emulate the lives of Southern poor folks with their banjos in their boots and hipster honky tonks. They scoot not much really caring for the folks that they emulate. You know, um, (laughs) that always drove me insane when I was writing for that for steam power. And when I was editing steam power, that like affectation of, yeah. Class. <laughs> yeah. There's the urban versus suburban. There's the class divide. There's there's the there's every kind of there's there's you know white people can do it to each other. You know what I mean? Through, via yeah. class and urban versus suburban. So it, it's not so it's not so cut and dried and simple. You know? I uh Yeah. I'm, I'm, like I said, I was, I got sick and tired of it. So I tried to distill it and put it in a song and now I can just sing the damn song 
and just and and something simply be done with it you know um it it just god (laughs) and 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 look um there's it can be this is this is what happens is i have a i teach my students ruben's rule of appropriation and i've developed this over many many years and i could be wrong but tell me what you think okay it's got three aspects right and it has to do with manners right number one were you invited into the house Right. Mm -hmm. And like, do they take their shoes off? Right. Are you going to take your shoes off? Did they take their shoes off? Okay. Were you invited? Number one. Right. Mm -hmm. Then, then number two, when you get there, are you helping or are you hurting? Is your presence toxic or is it alkali? It's up to you to determine that, not your guest. Right. Because your guest is always going to say it's fine. Right. But, right. Because that's what a guest does. I mean, that's what a host does. Host always says it's no bother, but you know whether it's a bother or not. And then three, since you're taking all of this stuff, what is it that you have to give? Do you have anything of yourself that you can give them? And the answer is for a lot of people is that they don't like if you're eating off of somebody else's buffet table and they ask you to go whip up something, can you go in the kitchen and whip me up something? Boy, a lot of people don't have the tools to go and whip up anything. <laughs> they've just been, they've just been taken their whole lives. So yeah. my three rules are, <laughs> right, right. So my my three rules are real simple, you know. If you follow, and this has to do with manners, is were you invited in the house? Do you think you're toxic or alkaline? And if they ask, can you give something back? And it it just those those are what I that's what I ask myself because I've been invited on bandstands before, and then I get on that bandstand and I realize. Dude, I cannot play Bulgarian music. No way. <laughs> he just invited me on stage because he's a friend of mine and he was trying to be friendly and neighborly. I need to get the heck off of this damn stage. I'm a good musician, but I can't count nine eight that good. You know, I need to get off this stage. And that's happened before in my life, you know what I mean? And uh, you know, it's just it's just it's just a question of simple manners. And um I also think it's it's the war against selfishness. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I I think the self is uh, is 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 a big problem, and I know that I suffer from this problem, and I need I need help with it a lot uh, to not be selfish. But I think uh, consumerism and capitalism mm-hmm. and and the internet and our disconnectedness from other people in community. And this idea that, hey, man, everything's all right, man. How you feel is totally valid and how I feel. Now, I feel that Hitler had some really good ideas. So you have to validate my feelings because I validate your feelings, too. Um, you know, uh, 
you know, this, it's not, it's not going to work. No, got to draw some lines. Yes, indeed. Oh man. And, and firmly let's, let's draw those lines firmly. You know how, you know, Jews didn't used to be white. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My granddad, my granddad said that he left, uh, he left for war back in world war two. He left for war. He left a Jew, but he came back a white man. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, the thing is, is that um, all you had to do was adopt, you know, white principles like consumerism and racism and sexism. You had to, as long as you started adopting these and shedding off the traditions mm-hmm. that, that, that we came with. As long as you shed your language and you shed your food and your dance and your music and your costume, you, you started shedding those things and you assimilated. But it was more than just that. If you had to put, you had to put capitalism and imperialism and, and racism and sexism and xenophobia, as long as you put those things in there, too, you got to assimilate and you got to be white. And I'm. And, and if I'm looking, if we're talking about decolonizing and we're talking about, uh, uh, I'm talking about de-assimilation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying, I'm trying to, I think that we threw out the baby with the bathwater when we assimilated into this society. And I think it's time to reclaim uh, the narrative uh, that we have that, <clears throat> that bends, that, that the Jewish people are actually a light unto the nations. Uh, uh, there's only 15 million of us on the earth, and uh, and we've made quite the impact. So I would like to think that that impact is a positive one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't know if this is really a question, but I mean, one thing I'm always interested in is that sort of tension between, you know, de-assimilation, but also building solidarity, and if you have thoughts on kind of how that happens about, you know, how we build global solidarity, because I do think that's the next step in like, you know, what we need to do to kind of reclaim our humanness on this planet if we ever had yeah. it to begin with. But yeah, I didn't know if you have any mm. thoughts about how we kind of dance that dance between deassimilation and building solidarity. Yeah, like what gives you intersectional hope? <laughs> young people, young people, young people. Young people, you know, when I was teaching at Kles Camp, which was a week-long um, gathering of the Yiddish Renaissance people who were still uh, working in the the Yiddish language, almost entirely secular, I might add, uh, but in the Yiddish mm-hmm. language. Most of those, I, it was in that world that I met my first transgender people that I get that I got to know. Uh, it was there that I met my first uh, non-binary people that I got to know. And um, that was being introduced to a whole new world. Um, it, I think it was, I think it's through those, I think it's through those sorts of connections. You like uh, living here in New Orleans now where, thank God, I'm a minority now. This is a 75, this is a 78% african-american city you know and now i'm i'm blessedly my caucasian skin uh, makes me blessedly a, a minority around here um i think it's the 
being exposed to and then listening to um, is the way that we're going to create any kind of uh, uh, any hope of of uh, coming together on anything. And uh, I, I just hope that, you know, to use that word hope again, I'm just hoping that with my platform, that my particular that that my particular point of view has a has a has a landing pad, you know, within the within the greater conversation. That's all. Cool. Um, I think that's a great place to maybe put a bow on it. Unless there's anything yeah, else you wanted to ask Joy, or you anything else you wanted to say, Mark? So. No, I just want to thank you kids for doing this. And uh, I just want to go back to what I was saying before. Um, my, my, my real hope is, is, is uh, in the future. It's just in, uh, you know, I meet younger people every day um, um, who, uh, you know, there was a while there uh, that I was meeting young folks that uh, kind of, you know, I, I was like, well, I don't know what's going on, but boy, <laughs> there's, there are these, there are these kids now in their twenties and they're just, uh, they're, they're filled with the light. They're mm-hmm. filled with the light and they, uh, they, they, they're really, they, they, uh, um, they want to do right. And they know they've got a good handle on, uh, on how to do exactly what we're talking about on how to, they, they, uh, they're refusing, uh, the old prejudices, that used to exist in our communities okay. and they're, they're definitely getting together in a way that just is exciting. And really I'm keeping my health together, Sarah, I'm keeping my health together just yeah. so I can live long enough to see it. I just want to live long enough to see it. I just, uh, I'm just, as I get older, um, uh, I see, I just see great promise in the future and I see it in uh, these kids and I'm just thrilled. And, uh, and thank you so much uh, both of y'all for doing this. This is a great service. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for making the time to talk to us. Yeah. Thanks so much. for it's, Yeah. This has been lovely. I'm really glad to have gotten yeah. to hear your perspectives on all these different things. You bet. Well, just visit me at the old Jew of Oklahoma.com. That's how you find your old buddy, Mark. Great. <laughs> Are you on the Twitter or the, uh, the Instagram or any of the things? Oh yeah. I think there's links to all that at the Jew of Oklahoma. Just go to Jew of Oklahoma.com. Real easy to find. Great. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much. And, um, yeah, really, I hope that every musician comes out of the pandemic with still some kind of, of a <laughs> path, but either way, I'm really glad to see all that you've, all that you've been creating out of it. So fantastic. Yeah. Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. Joy. We'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do okay. Yeah. I hope to make it down to new Orleans when things open back up at some point. Po boys, po boys on me, po boys on me. Great. (laughs) That was the last place I was before the pandemic. So I should, uh, I went to Mardi Gras, came home, and everything shut down. Well, if good Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, we'll see you next time. Well, thank you, Mark. It's good to see you. Thank you so much. Listen close to what I say. 
There'll come a time, there'll be a day And though it seems so far away I promise that we'll make them pay There'll be revenge for the suffering and pain Revenge for those who still remain Oh, that day will come along When we right each every wrong There'll be revenge For the widows, orphans, it must suffice For the millions, blood and sacrificed Our prophets cry out for us to awake For retribution, so shall we take We'll have revenge For the suffering and pain Revenge for those who still remain Oh, that day will come along When we right each every wrong There'll be It's coming here like Noah's dove A message of kindness, peace, and love That's our revenge For the suffering and pain Revenge For those who still remain Oh, that day will come along When we right each every wrong That's our revenge That's funny. I just looked at the clock and it's 1249 and 42 is a sync for me. Like, of course, 42, 22. 24. The uh, ultimate answer. Yeah. Yeah. I've like since the weirdly, it was like since the pandemic started all of a sudden, I don't know. I had some sort of up level with shit and like was listening to a lot of Jesse Reed and all of a sudden it was like 42, 42, yeah. 42. And I get that, like, there's the explanation of that stuff where it's like once you start noticing it, your brain just doesn't notice all the other things you see all the time. Right, exactly. I figure it, it doesn't still. it doesn't hurt and it's just fun, you know, <laughs> to it's like a little um what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a little scavenger hunt <laughs> through the matrix. Yeah, like, exactly. Like we we decide what we are what we're choosing to, you know, let into our our sphere of awareness as far as, like, what we're going to notice more or not. And then, like, and then we see it, and it's cool. Like, we program ourselves to see shit, and we do. Yeah. No harm in it. So. Exactly. Like, I seem to have programmed myself to see all the weird people everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and find them. Magnetize them to myself. They come to me and they say things that they know I will understand, and I hate them for knowing that I'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was kind of why I wanted to start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's why we all like. That's really basically like what we're all doing on this earth is like wandering around finding people who understand things in a way that's compatible with the way we understand them. Yeah. 
or at least can offer a lot of intriguing, you know, side paths to go on. So, which was certainly yeah. the case talking to Mark, which I knew it would be the case. So. Yeah, I'm really glad that you uh, that you invited him on and that we had a chance to listen to his whole process and all of his experience. Such a rich field. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Mark I've known since I lived in Austin, and I had ambitions to be a career music writer. Um, and I, I think I just I met him because he was playing at the barbecue place down the street from my house, and I was like, holy shit, it's one of the founders of the Bad Livers playing a barbecue place. <laughs> like, I can walk there, and I can get beer and fried okra and see the dude from the Bad Livers. <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah. Me being a nerd basically struck up a friendship, and that was cool. So, yeah. Hooray. I mean, yeah, that's exactly how nerds find each other, is we go out and nerd in public. (laughs) Nerding in public. (laughs) And we discover each other. Ah, you are one of me. Fantastic. Let us be friends. (laughs) Uncensored nerding. That's what this podcast's other tagline is. Yes, uncensored nerding. Yeah, so there was what's kind of stuck out to you from what Mark said. Like, there's so many things we could talk about. So, oh my God. Yeah, so uh, like I was saying earlier, intersectional hatred and intersectional hope, I feel like are two sides of the same coin, and we touched on them both mm-hmm. in our conversation. I feel like he said it first, you know, the, the hatred is intersectional. Yeah. And that was such like a dark thing to think about, but then. You know, when you think about where our, where our hope for the future and for the present, really, if we're being honest with ourselves, comes from, it's like, it comes from all different intersectional places as well, all different, like, arms of the struggle against fascism, whether it's mutual aid networks or, um, you know, local politicians making a difference with the police budget or... You know, people out demonstrating in the street or, you know, people, you know, starting farms and feeding their communities. Like, it's all different. There's all different pieces of the uh, the, the hope pie. Yeah. and Just as well as the other side. Yeah. And I think that, Mark, I don't certainly agree with what he said, though, that, like, one side is organized here and one side is not. And that's certainly something, and I know we've talked about on this podcast, that frustrates me is, like, the um, why people can't kind of seem to find their way to solidarity in the midst of all the yes ands of intersectionality. And I don't know if it's because people are super reductive in their thinking or like what, but like, again, it's like I th- we can have unity without throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which is why I think a project like Mark's new album is really interesting because it is all specifically you know, about the Jewish experience in America and, like, what, you know, the the bigotry Jews have experienced as well as sort of, like, the unique parts of Jewish culture. But it is still speaking to this bigger project of trying to draw people together in a space of solidarity, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it definitely does. And I think it also, um, it stands out in the space that it's in because in, like, the the bluegrass scene in the folk music scene in the u.s there's it's basically dominated by like a lot of white patriarchy 
But if you step outside of that scene and you look around a little more at other scenes, like, the thing is that, like, there are people in solidarity all over the place. And, like, that's how these, that's how these, like, mutual aid networks have grown. And that's how these protests and these movements have become so effective because there actually are people standing in solidarity. It's just not comfortable people. And like you and I and Mark often and people like us who, you know, are white or even people who are white passing, you know, I have Jewish blood and that used to make me not white as he was mentioning. Um, But like those, those who don't have the ability to pass and fit into the white patriarchal structure have had no choice but to stand in solidarity to survive. So it's like, I think right now what we're realizing, what what we're coming to is this space of like having to look around us and see where we can fit in to the struggle that's already solidifying around us. Um, and not like, not expect the people who are comfortable to be part of that necessarily until they feel like they absolutely have no other choice. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, you know, taking more of taking the back seat and letting folks lead who haven't had the chance <laughs> through, you know, the. I was about to rattle off the whole, like, white supremacist patriarchal, you know, like, the whole list of all the things. Because of all the things, like, letting, you know, folks who have been marginalized lead. And that's, I think, something that even the most self-aware attempting to do good, like, just because of human ego, it's it's a struggle. I think we can both admit that as white people. Yeah. Like, it's something Definitely. you have to contend with within yourself. And I don't think it makes you a bad person to admit that. You know what I mean? I think exactly. you just need to be real with yourself and be like, okay, am I coming from a place of ego and not wanting to look like a bad person and wanting to get props for being one of the good ones? Or am I actually interested mm-hmm. in stepping back, building solidarity, listening, learning, maybe fucking doing a lot of growth, you know, (laughs) like, so I think that that's something I I can't pretend that I'm there perfectly. But, you know, that's, I think, starting by just being open about it (laughs) as privileged people is, I think, an important first step. So, yes. And, and also, like paying attention to who are who the leaders already are yes you know and how they're leading and the ways that you know the leadership that people who have been historically oppressed are using doesn't necessarily look like the leadership of like the capitalist patriarchal white supremacist society it looks a lot less hierarchical and a lot more um you know a lot more um, grassroots type of um, collaborative leadership structures. Like it's it's not, I think part of the reason why we sometimes feel like we need to, um, we need, like we as, you know, white people, quote unquote, you know, um, allies, even though it's our struggle too. Yeah. You know, um, it, we, we say, oh, well, we're going to step up and lead because nobody's leading. But really, it's like p- 
people are leading, just not in the ways that we're accustomed to following. Yeah. So so we see a void, whereas they see a space. And what we can do is, like, relax our need to lead and, like, pay attention to how the struggle has been continuing. Like Mark was saying, like, the the struggle against anti-Semitism... Um, has been ongoing. It's just taken different shapes, right? And um, it doesn't necessarily look like replacing the current power structures with people who look like they were from targeted communities, right? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it looks like just sort of participating in those alternative struct uh, alternative structures. Like Ash w- was saying when she was. Um, with us from the Highlander Center, like episode three, radicals. Yeah, episode three, way back in episode three last year, um, <laughs> we, you know, we were talking about how the radical, the radical structures exist already, and they've been existing, and that's how targeted people have managed to survive. So, like, we have the option of like participating in a struggle that's ongoing rather than, like, trying to reinvent a wheel that's already totally rolling. That's, yeah, that's such a good point. And it's, like, it's almost like no matter what, we've been conditioned to see a certain way, um, whether it's, like, by the privilege of our class or the color of our skin or whatever. And, like, that seeing means that we don't see other things. Um, Mm -hmm. I was going to say that there's this whole historical thing about a cult, like for a long time, historically, the color blue was not something people realized was a thing. So people didn't actually see see there was a color blue. And then at some point, blue became a thing and people started seeing, oh, blue. So like, yeah, yeah. so like you don't hear mention of the color blue for like, I don't want to, I don't want to fuck this up and say thousands of years. I might be wrong. Somebody look this up about the color blue. I read it, too, though. I did read it. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> the point is, like, this thing that we now take for granted as literally the color of the sky and the way we see color, the color of water was not even a thing for a long time, and it became a thing. So there's literally no reason to think that these, these things aren't already out there and we're just not seeing them. And then we will see them, and then it'll be like, oh, remember when we didn't think the color blue was real? It'll be like, remember when we didn't think the revolution was really happening, you know? Right, exactly. I was talking with somebody about this uh, the other day where she was she was saying, man, I just, like, wish it would happen faster. I wish, like, all of this would happen faster. And I'm, like, thinking about it, like, well, in the big scheme of things, it's happening pretty quick. Like, less than 10 years ago, the mainstream conversation was like, but are the police racist though? And now we're like, abolish the police and the entire racist system. And like, everybody has heard those words. That's the mainstream conversation. Now, whether or not it's going to happen quick, you know, as in the next year or not, I don't know. But when we talk about history, we talk about it in like 10 and 20 year chunks half the time. So this is happening quick. (laughs) That's nothing. That's like the cell off a fingernail of Shiva fucking wall that he creates and destroys the universe over and over again. Exactly. Exactly. We're like the speck of dust on the eyelash of a larger cosmic being in the grand scheme of things. So like 
the police will be abolished. And, um, you know, in the sense of like super esoteric thinking where everything that has always happened and is going to happen is always happening. Well, all this has happened um, before and, and all this will happen that, again. In that sense, like the police are already abolished and the revolution has already happened and we're all like stepping into our power as more highly evolved beings that don't need uh, war and anti-Semitism and borders and all that bullshit. Yeah. And I think it's good to also, with, again, the yes and, which we always like talking about on the podcast, to be aware of, like, you know, some of the very real shit that Mark talked about, that while there is, I do think there is an up-leveling of awareness happening, especially amongst younger generations, there's going to be the backswing of ugliness, of old-school fascism, even if it's now kind of got a new intersectional (laughs) vision for who they want to destroy, like... That, that shit is real, too, and we can hold both realities at once and point mm-hmm. our perception to the higher one. Yeah, and we can take, I think, a little bit of comfort in the fact that fascists don't have original thoughts. No. They co-opt effective movements, and um, they, you know, copy, they make shitty copies of effective strategies, And the only way that they can carry them out is through brute force. Whereas, like, the great thing about, you know, the movement, a movement which is not necessary, it's not just resisting fascism. It's, like, it's promoting, um, you know, equity and humanity and, like, thriving. It's... It's constantly evolving and constantly creating. It doesn't need to copy shit. It's just, like cool we're just gonna find a way around this bullshit here and so it's in a way like when we see the fascists like cracking down the way they are and like desperately trying to maintain the status quo and just make it look a little bit nicer and friendlier and rainbow colored we can see it as like oh like they have nothing you know like they've got nothing they're just trying to do what we do because they've got nothing and all we have to do is um you know, keep protecting our, each other, keep being aware that, like, we're constantly being attacked, but also be aware that we're being attacked because, like, we're doing things well in life. And make fun of them. People seem yeah. to not understand how powerful humor is. I mean, one of the best yeah. examples, and I've probably mentioned this before, is, like, take American History X versus the producers. Fascists like American History X, which is a warning about how awful fascism is. They do not like the producers, which does nothing but makes fun of fascists. And Mel Brooks, yes. when people were like, how, how can you make a movie making fun of Nazism? He's like, how can I not? Like, yeah. as a Jewish person, how can I not? Like, I mean, I... Especially, yeah. Especially with comedy. Yeah. I, I, I Thank you for reminding me about that. And it's, it's not only powerful, like you're completely right. It's the other side of tragedy, you know. Comedy is how we cope with tragedy. Um, and that's why, like, the, some of the most powerful comedy is a direct response to some of the most severe, earth-shattering tragedy. You know, of course Mel Brooks, a Jew, made a film about making fun of Hitler. Of course, of course springtime for Hitler was the thing, you know? Thank you for reminding me to rewatch that movie and the new one. <laughs> I, yeah, Zero Nostalgia and Wilder Virgin is my fave, but the new musical was pretty good too, so. Yeah. Um, anyway, 
I don't know. I, on that, on that, like, I feel like slightly hopeful note, um, that literal note of of songs. <laughs> I really wish that we could use like a little cut of springtime for Hitler here, right here, because it'd be great. But. Maybe I can, maybe I can learn a little bit of it. Uh, my ukulele. See, that's how we get it for for all the podcast listeners. We get we get around having to pay copyright fines because I just cover the songs that we want to use on the podcast, and um, and we have wonderful guests with great music like Mark, who I'm so glad we get to feature. And we have you know like a few listeners. So. <laughs> hey, few listeners. Hey, f- hey, what the folk fam? We know you're out there. We we see you out there. <laughs> I'm sorry, I keep um, joking about how few listeners we have, but <laughs> the few, the proud. Hey, the few, the proud. The what the folk fam? <laughs> We're reclaiming that. The Marines can't have it anymore. The few, the proud. The what the folk fam? <laughs> Marines can fuck off. <laughs> they can, and they are. They're currently fucking off and on and around everyone and thing. <laughs> um, that's how they roll. All right. <sighs> All right, what the folk fam, few and proud of you, please rate and review us if you like us, and even if you don't, please rate us high anyway, because we're high. <laughs> <laughs> it's Yeah, it's basically, it's a lateral. It's a lateral <laughs> move on your part. And we're, I just want to note, we're recording this on May the 4th, but we will be releasing it on Revenge of the 5th. <laughs> yes. And today is also my 13-year return anniversary from my last Iraq deployment. So I always think about it as, you know, May the 4th is, you know, a Star Wars day, but I always think about it as, like, you know, a different empire's war. <laughs> Check out Joy's Instagram. Joy did a very powerful post about... Um, made the forest and returning after being deployed. So we'll link we'll link to that in the show notes. How about that? How about that? We will. We'll link to all my shit. May the fourth and the force be with all of you. <laughs> and also and with you. Stick. And the revenge of this <laughs> We're dorks. We're gonna get this right someday with our between our Zoom delay and our just like extreme nerdery. All right. Thanks for listening everyone. Make us stop now. Bye bye. We love you. I knew a Zulu drumming master with complexion alabaster Made his living teaching African percussion Well, he's studied every beat, but he will beat a quick retreat Should you wish to challenge his appropriations It can be a shock if you've never heard no Well, there seems to be a fad amongst the money college grads to dramatize the lives of southern poor folk. With their banjos and their boots and hipster honky-tonks, they scoot imitating those they don't really much care for. It never crossed their mind they'd hear no. There's a strange fascination with the women across the nation to claim to be a Cherokee princess. Sure, the natives safely dead, a crown of feathers on her head, but the trail of tears her family never dealt with. From the reds a buffalo moans no. Have you ever heard no? Any place you cannot go. 
Is everything you find just for your pleasure? With privilege you exert Thoughtless pain and untold hurt Gentrifying yet another culture's treasure Can you tell me, have you heard a no? There's a hobo Balkan band blowing in the backyard jam Playing tunes they learn from old folk dance records Do they care or even wonder about the folks from who they plunder Or the awful trials those people had to suffer From their mass graves, Trebnitsa, I heard no the Caucasian bluesman sat with dark glasses and a hat On a stage a thousand miles from any delta They say he come up from the south A bogus accent in his mouth But the urban kids don't care to know the difference It seems that money can buy you out of no Have you ever heard no? Found no place you cannot go Can you walk through any door Just at your leisure? Oh, you speak English and skin of white Does that give you the right To take anything you find for your pleasure? Have you no manners at all? What the Folk is co-hosted and co-produced by Sarah Baranowskis and Joy Damiani. Our guest this week has been Mark Rubin. Songs featured in this episode were It's Burning from the upcoming Triumph of Assimilation, Royal Street Shuffle from his 2018 album Songs for the Hangman's Daughter, and finally A Day of Revenge, also from his latest album. You can find more about Mark and his music at jewofoklahoma.com. Stay tuned in a couple weeks where we will once again attempt to answer the question, what the actual folk is going on? Take care of yourselves out there because we love you. Why is it that our fellow man can oftentimes be so cruel? It seems these days the dark side has replaced the golden rule. All appeals to our humanity, every argument falls flat. For the dark side has donuts, and who can compete with that? Oh, the dark side has donuts, seems that's all it takes To unleash your latent wickedness, and a dark lord you can make You may think yourself a Jedi, and to the light side you will bend But if really being honest here, you're a Sith Lord in the end Now the dark side has donuts, may not sound like a big deal But once you've had those donuts, you'd understand the appeal a sugar buzz and no large soap dough to found for donuts. See the dark side. There's plenty to go around.